Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how to assume our identity as ambassadors for Christ and to reconcile others to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from this week's messages. And so the constant speaking of lies is the cauterization of the conscience. That's the line of Cain, searing the conscience by speaking lies and hypocrisy. And then he read from the paper, Mark 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now here's Tom Cantor as we finish out our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Genesis teaching series. Understanding, when we understand how close these people are to hell and praying for their real problems, time is running out. That's a problem. Time is running out desperately for them to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That will cure us from envying them and what they have. Because now the next problem of anger and wrath, the solution is to what I like to call stay within our pay scale. Stay within our pay scale. You know, we take verses 3 and 7 and turn them around, like I said. And now you go to Psalm 73, verse 2 through 8. And here, this passage says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compassed them about as a chain. Violence covers them as garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness and have more than heart could wish. They have everything they want. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither and waters of a full cup are run out to them. And they say, the wicked say, how doth God know? And is their knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Then the psalm of David says, Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain. I wasted my time, is what he's saying. And washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, uh, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until... Verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I, that's what we need, an understanding, their end. <clears throat> Surely thou hast set them in slippery places, thou hast cast them down in destruction. Verse 19, it talks about them being brought into desolation as in a moment, utterly consumed with terrors. Drop down, verse um, 23. But nevertheless, I am continually with thee, thou holdest, hast holding me by my right hand. Verse 24, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, afterward receive me to glory and so forth. But verse 27, For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord. Why? That I may declare all thy works. God says in this psalm, if we focus on the superficial of what the ungodly and the, who prosper in the world are and have, if we look at their prosperity, if we look at their pride, if we look at how they seem to have everything they want, if we look at their personal corruption of their lives, if we look at their lofty and God-defying speech and how they just seem to be exempt 
from God's judgment and how it seems that God doesn't even notice or care about what they are seeming to get away with. If we look at that, we will be tempted to be angry and wrathful, but that's above our pay scale. The wrath of God is God's pay scale. That's not our pay scale. Vengeance is God's pay scale. That's not our pay scale. If we focus on all that about them, here's what's going to happen to us. It will be like we're losing our footing. And we're ready to slip. We lose our confidence. We lose our assurance. And that's what is propelling us to preach the gospel. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. We'll feel that we're wasting our time living for God. Why shouldn't we just give up, dive into the world with the rest of them? And that's what he meant when he said, I have cleansed my heart in vain. And the heart pain will be unbearable. When I thought to know this, it was too, too painful for me. We will become silent, all bound up, and in danger of not only getting ourselves greatly discouraged, which happens, but discouraging others. And so we will go into ourselves like a little shell and afraid to speak, because if we reveal what we're really thinking, if I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. But what do we do to keep these things from happening to us? Verse 17 how it all turned around for David when he took a walk. And where did David take the walk to? He walked to the sanctuary of God. And what did he do there? He saw, and what he saw there in the sanctuary cured him of all the problems of his envy and of his discouragement and from focusing on the world. Because what did he see when he went in there? He saw the same thing that you walked, you would see when you walked into the outer court of the tabernacle. You saw two things. You saw the laver and you saw the brazen altar, and you looked at the place of death when you looked at the place of the brazen altar, and David knew when he saw that God's going to judge sin. And without God's sacrifice, that's what that brazen altar spoke of, without God's sacrifice, their sin will never be forgotten. Apart from God's sacrifice, there's no sin that's going to be forgiven. Apart from God's sacrifice, there's no sin that's going to be put behind God's back. Apart from God's sacrifice, there's no sin that's going to be cast into the depths of the sea. Apart from God's sacrifice, the whole record's coming back. Even every idle word, as he said in Matthew 12, 36, I say unto you, every idle word men shall speak, they shall give account of, the day of judgment. God saw, when David saw this altar, this is what it all, he realized God has provided a sacrifice for their sins, and without that provided sacrifice, no chance. No way. Because if a person neglects, or a person ignores, or a person disregards God's provided sacrifice, it's clear from Hebrews 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great sacrifice. The Lord Jesus Christ said of himself, he said, I'm the door. By me, if any man enter in, he'll be saved. Go in and out and find pastor. To neglect the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God's great sacrifice, is to try to climb up into heaven by some other way. By some other way. That's what he meant when he said in John 10, 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way. Think of those words. Climbeth up some other way. The same as a thief and a robber. It's clear. The saved go to heaven through the door of the Lord Jesus Christ. The lost try to climb into heaven by some other way. And there's many other ways. And the greatness of God is this provided sacrifice that he has. Who knew God himself would become a man? That he as the perfect man would take all of our sins on himself and die for us. There's absolutely no way for a person to escape God's judgment if he neglects that. 
if he ignores the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means in Hebrews 10, 30-31. For we know that uh, we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall. It's a fearful thing to fall. But it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands or be caught in the hands of the living God, of an angry God. In Hebrews 10, 28-29, He that despised Moses' law, he died without mercy, under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite or insulted the Spirit of grace. What was David impressed with? What should we be impressed with when we consider the brazen altar, when we consider the cross, that the ungodly who prosper in the world, they don't have God's provided sacrifice. And they've ignored and neglected the Lord Jesus Christ. And their failure to respond to God and receive the Lord as God and Savior leaves them with no escape. And by taking his name in vain, in swear words, and and they walked all over the Son of God and concluded or counted the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as unholy. And they insulted the Holy Spirit. They are about to fearfully fall into the hands of of the living God. Their punishment will be sorer than just breaking the Ten Commandments. And as these truths, they sink into us, they not only cure us from our envy of them who are prospering in the world, but they break our heart for them. And so that we can see all through their houses, their cars, their vacations, their wealth, to see their absolute poverty. And we realize the richest people on the earth have the Lord Jesus Christ because they have life. And the poorest people on the earth do not have the Lord Jesus Christ because they do not have life, according to 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's why Richard Dawkins, before a debate recently with a creationist, said to him, I would love to have the peace you have. Because Isaiah 48, 22 says there's no peace. There is low shalom. There is no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked. So, we look at ourselves and say, okay, we need to have this compassion for the lost, for the ungodly who prosper in the world. But I feel envy for what they have. I get angry when they blaspheme God. I'm frustrated when they don't respond to the gospel. So how am I supposed to get this? Take a walk to the cross. Take a walk to the cross. Our next service, we're going to have a time of breaking bread, communion. If that time is going to be successful for us, then we will in our minds take a walk to the cross. If it's going to be a success for us, the next service, we have that time, we will in our minds do what David said, we'll go into the sanctuary of God and the same outer court and the two objects there that we'll find. First, we'll find the laver, and the bottom of the laver is covered with the mirrors, and then we'll see the brazen altar for the sacrifices. And if our time of breaking of bread is going to be a success for us, three things are going to happen. First, we will immediately go to the laver, And bending over the laver, we're going to see ourselves, we'll examine ourselves, and we will confess any sin. But second, quickly turn away from the laver to the altar. Quickly stop thinking about ourselves. Quickly start thinking about the sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a trap to just think about yourself. We realize that, that it's very easy to become introspective. It's very easy to do what Proverbs 
18.2 says, The fool has said, hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. We don't need to discover any more about our heart. We've discovered enough. And as we turn to the altar, then we'll think of how the Lord Jesus Christ loved us by humbling himself for us, by dying for our sins, by suffering, and we'll worship him. And that will be a great success. But there's a third thing. If that time will be successful, then we will think of the lost who don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, God's provided sacrifice. We will walk out of that time, that service, with a broken heart. We will say with Paul those words that he said when he said, I have a continual burden in my heart. I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites. We will say in Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. We will have the prayer of Jeremiah where he said in Jeremiah 9.1, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of my, the daughter of my people. In other words, we'll say, Lord, turn my head into a reservoir and make these eyes Niagara Falls. So I just cry day and night for the lost. That should be our attitude toward the line of Cain, the lost. That should be our prayer for the line of Cain, the lost. And our action, our action to them, to the lost, the line of Cain, is to tell them, Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto men once to die. After that, the judgment. Warn them. Warn them. And then, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. One, assume your identity. Put your badge on. Your badge says ambassador for Christ. Two, beg them to be reconciled to God. People can tell if you're begging them. They can see it in your eyes. They can feel it in your handshake. They can see it in your body language. And they can hear it in your voice when you are pleading with them, as the scripture says, begging them to be reconciled to God. Explain what God did for them. He hath made. God did this. God hath made. God, this is a work of God. It's not a work of yours. It's a work of God. God hath made him to be sin for us. Explain why he did it for us. He hath made him to be sin for us. In other words, his love. Explain who he did this to. The Lord Jesus Christ he knew no sin, sinless, and God himself. And explain God's purpose to make us what we are not, righteous. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And explain all of this destination that God has. And the destination are two words, in him. That's the destination that God has for man, to be in Christ, to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose and the destination of it all. That's what God is doing. It means when it says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Says, that's what God is doing. That's what we should do when it comes to the line of Cain, the lost. We seek to convert them from being in the line of the lost to convert them over to getting in the line of the saved from Cain's line to Seth's line before it's too late. And that's the message of Psalm 37 and Psalm 73, before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, having a heart 
for the line of Cain because we were there. We were in that line. And such were some of us. And we were all there, Lord, with our own particular sins. But you, in your great mercy, you cried out to us, don't let the sinner die. And we heard your call, and we converted from one line to the other. And thank you, Lord, that you love to take wild olive branches and graft them in and help us to be, Lord, experts at gardening and grafting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, you said that we seek to convert the lost from the line of Cain. Now, some question, how can we convert anyone? That's a very good question. You know, one time D.L. Moody was a great evangelist. D.L. Moody was walking on the street in Chicago near his church, and some scoffer came up to him and said, Hey, Moody, look at across the street there. You see that drunk in the gutter? There's one of your converts. And Moody responded, Yes, he must be one of my converts. He's not God's convert. That's a very, very good truth that Moody was pointing out there. And that is that if we don't convert anyone, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who does the saving. He does the converting. What we do is we help those to come to him. We bring the lost to the Lord, and we bring the Lord to the lost. And he does the converting. That's what it means when it says it is very reason for why he was named who he was. In Matthew one twenty one. it was said, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What he was saying there is that you will call his name Yeshua, which means God saves. And then he explains, because he shall save, he shall save his people from their sins. Paul knew this so very well when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ in Romans 1.16. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what was he saying, Paul? He was saying, me, ashamed of the gospel of Christ? That's the very dynamite of God. That's the explosives right there when you talk about the gospel of Christ, because the gospel of Christ, which is God's gospel, is what actually brings about the conversion and the salvation of a soul. It's the word of God. That's why David said in Psalm 19:7, it's the law of the Lord that's perfect, converting the soul. In other words, he says that it's the Bible, God uses his Bible, his word, to do this great, powerful work of converting the soul. That's why we seek to get into the hands, into the hearts of the lost. What saith the Lord? What does the Bible say? And if we know that God uses his word to convert the soul. So the answer to the question, how do we convert anyone, is we don't. We don't convert anyone. We bring the lost to the Lord. We bring the Lord to the lost so that he can convert them through his word. And Tom's still thinking about the concept of converting somebody. I know I've heard people say that it's threatening to be on the other end of someone trying to convert you, you know, and they say, don't convert me. But really, what is the answer to all this? Well, you know, seeking to see a person converted 
or returned, as the Hebrew uh, word would say, to seeking to see a person converted from a direction that's heading him right down the middle of the road to hell is the highest love that you can show to a lost. So if we are guilty of trying to see someone converted, trying to see someone turn around from them, then we are guilty as charged. We are guilty as the highest form of love. This is what it was God was telling to Ezekiel in Ezekiel thirty three eleven when God told Ezekiel, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Now that's how God spoke to to Ezekiel. He said, Ezekiel, I want you to understand something about me. I am not a God sitting in heaven with a big pile of bricks trying to drop them on the heads of the people below. That's not me. And Ezekiel, I want you to understand who your Lord is, who your God is. Ezekiel, your God, your Lord is one who has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, has no pleasure in a person going to hell, has no pleasure in an eternity of suffering for the wicked. God will do it because of his holiness, but he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so if God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, then we could ask the question, well, what does he have pleasure in? He has great pleasure to see the wicked turn from his way and live. That was the meaning there of the parable of the prodigal son. It was the joy of the father when his son who in essence had said to him, I wish you were dead, and took all that he had by way of an inheritance and went and wasted it. And the father, the prodigal son's father, father, looked constantly out on the horizon. And when he came back, there was a huge celebration. Why? Because that son, that wicked son, had turned from his way. And And the example that he gave there was to say, that's how God feels when a wicked person turns from his way and lives. A great party, not just a, well, you know, you should have done a long time. Just come in the back door and we'll just forget about it. No, God said huge celebration because someone has come from death to life. The wicked turns from his way and he lives. And so therefore, God then turns from his heart of yearning and says, turn ye, turn ye from ye evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you die, O Jewish people? Why will you die, you sons of Abraham? This is the question that he's asking. He says, turn you, turn you. That's not necessary for you to die. The Lord Jesus Christ has died so that you do not have to die in hell, but that you can live forever. And so this is the reason why, and we covered earlier how David, when he fell into the great sin, and he said, Lord, create in me a clean heart in Psalm 51.10. Renew or repair this right spirit with me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy way, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit away from, uh, from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and hold me with thy free spirit. Then he says, then 
will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Why were the sinners going to be converted unto them? Because King David was going to teach them. King David was going to persuade them. Why was he going to teach them and persuade them? Because he had gone down the road himself. He had been down the road of the dirty heart that became clean. He had been down the road of the wrong spirit that got a right spirit. He had been down the road of the danger of being cast away from God and having the Holy Spirit removed from him. Well, believe that he was ever in danger of losing his salvation, but he had been in this place. He had been in the place where he needed to be restored, and he was, and therefore he had set himself to teach transgressors how they also could be saved like himself. And he said, he's going to make it his business that sinners will be converted. That's why Paul said in Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, they may be removed, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. God is a God of blotting out sins and of life. Thank you for joining us today. Has the Friendship with God radio program impacted you or someone you know? Well, you can let us know all about it by giving us a call at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. You can also contact Tom Cantor by sending an email to tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Last name is spelled C-A-N-T-O-R, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Send him an email, give us a call, let us know your testimony. Would you like to get the February resource of the month? Tom Cantor's great new DVD called What is a Jew by Choice versus a Jew by Birth? Call us today, 1-800-247-3051 to get your copy. Again, that's 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org for more information. Thanks for listening.